welcome to another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon, afternoon Theologians. Theologians. There she is, the <laughs> recording in progress nasal girl. <laughs> uh, where would we be without her? Not being recorded. Well, that's true. That's and, right. And it would be a lot like. <laughs> You're instead right. of the happy banter that we usually start with. That's true. I wanted to start out since we're going to be talking today about self-control. I wanted to show you something that happened just before I hopped on for this meeting. And this is what my puppy dog or my daughter's puppy dog was looking like. so very cute wasn't that self-controlled <laughs> we don't know how long that might last she was pretty self-controlled for a moment <laughs> yeah a lot of times we give our dog something and three seconds later it's it's either gone if it's a treat or <laughs> it's a, a a puddle of fuzz if it was a, some sort of a chew toy right that happens very quickly with ours too and even though she's tiny she's got mighty teeth <laughs> It cracked me up too. This is probably off topic and has nothing to do with self-control other than, well, I guess I can tie it into self-control. I was proud of you because you were very self-controlled as you were trying to troubleshoot why you didn't have any video today because you're using a new computer new to you. Yes. And I noticed that you looked crisper and cleaner and your colors are more vivid. And you said, oh, well, I connected to the HD. Does that mean that you went to Home Depot or? Well, well, that and I did shower. So I'm sure that that helped crisp me up just a little bit. That's good. I don't even have anything in my hair. Does it look crisp? Uh, it looks kind of fuzzy. Okay. Well, I think that HD was great because uh, I think all of our colors are more vibrant and we probably look more healthy. Uh, a little pink in our cheeks. <laughs> um, I, I probably was looking about, I don't know, 720-ish maybe uh -huh. even 480-ish, I don't know. But right now, we're probably at about 1270 or maybe 1840. Well, it, yeah, I, th I think we're probably in the middle of the 19th century on a lot of things. If we keep going on this and we learn more about technology, we're going to get into the 20th century by next week. That's right. We can, we can be postmodernists before we know it. <laughs> at, at least now we're not looking like we're in uh, Minecraft with our faces all pixelated into squares. Yowza. Yeah. And then we can put on uh, Huey Lewis. Sorry, I got a little lack of self-control on that music. <laughs> well, as you can tell, I've just had my second cup of coffee. <laughs> so it's probably a good day for us to talk about self-control. <laughs> I, I think we should, because it is something that uh, we are encouraged to exhibit. Yep. It is the last in the list of the fruit of the spirit. Yep. I, I wouldn't say it's the least important because it kind of incorporates the other eight. It sort of does. It's like this is the linchpin. And if you put this one in, it holds all the others together. And if you remove this one, all the rest of them topple like dominoes. 
Now you're making me hungry. I haven't had pizza in a long time. <laughs> we could never be accused of having random conversations because of our ADD. <laughs> well, somebody once said that my brain is like this. And by that, he meant all the wires are crossed. <laughs> so if we are encouraged to exhibit self-control, there must be some areas in which we can be self-controlled or there's some of those that leap to mind. Yeah. Uh, instantly, anytime I even hear the word self-control, because this has been the number one most difficult thing in my life since I was a very young boy, it's anger and frustration. Those things were always right up at the top of the list for me. Still are for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And as I was showering this morning so that I could get that fuzzy pear look... <laughs> I remembered an incident, which was talked about, I think, in my book. I, I haven't actually looked at my book this week, so I can't remember which book it's in. It's in one of my two books, the first two. <laughs> I was, goodness, I was way back in Ann Arbor serving at a different church because it was fresh out of seminary. Joy and I had only been married about uh, seven or eight years at that point. We lived in Whitmore Lake, Michigan. And one afternoon, a neighbor of ours, several houses down, had a three-year-old child, and the parents went inside for just a minute to check on something, and the kid slipped into a stream that was right next to their house, and he drowned and was carried downstream, so it took him a long time just to find his little body. So we thought, we don't know this family very well, but we felt like we needed to go and try to do whatever we could. One of our friends said they might really be able to use some a listening ear or something. And I was at a loss. You know, I had only been in ministry for a very short time. And I thought they're asking the impossible because I don't have anything meaningful to say that's going to help them right now. But we went to the hospital and they were just beside themselves. As you can imagine, the mother was just almost comatose with grief. And I felt awful about it. And Joy and I said a feeble prayer hoping that it might give them some kind of comfort in that moment, but we just felt awful. Then we had to go by the post office in Ann Arbor on the way to choir practice that night at church, which I was leading. There was a line and somebody drove up from one drop box to the next drop box because one of them was for local. And then he started trying to back up because he realized he'd gone to the wrong box. But by then there were about six cars behind me and it was going all the way out into this busy street. And I had nowhere to go. I could not back up. And he's honking at me, trying to get me to back up. And all of that frustration and anger from having been through a very emotional afternoon built up in my, in my brain. And I didn't do a very smart thing. I did not exhibit self-control. I rolled down my window and I yelled at the top of my lungs, something like, move your car. <laughs> or you know, I can't back up. I just screamed it. I was just, God, I was done. I had no more control left. And unfortunately, this guy in front of me opened his door and unfolded himself. He was very tall. <laughs> and he looked like an athlete. In fact, he looked like he could have been an NFL football player. I am about to get my lights punched out. <laughs> What have I done? And he walked over to my window. We had this brief exchange. And I said, 
sorry, I yelled, but you have no idea what kind of day I've been through. And he says, well, don't treat me like you would treat your three-year-old kid. <laughs> he got back in his car. He drove off and he walked up to the other box and put his mail in it. And then I, but man, that was one of those instant instances when I thought I really probably could have been more self-controlled, but sometimes we get pushed right to the edge of anything we have left. And I didn't have anything left that day. I'm just really grateful that with God's grace, he didn't give me a black eye or a broken nose. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where the peace and the patience and the kindness and the gentleness and all of those preceding fruit will really impact mm -hmm. the self-control. Uh, but some yep. days it's really tough. Yep. And that's why I think we're reminded that it is the fruit of the spirit and it doesn't come from within us. Yeah, but it's easy for us, especially when we're frustrated or we're angry or we're hurt or any other number mm -hmm. of emotional uh, states that we can be in. Um, it's easy to go over that edge and not be self-controlled. Yep, very easy. And I think we all sort of let our leash out in certain situations more than we would in others. And part of what the Holy Spirit does is reels us back in again and shortens that leash because we have to give ourselves permission to behave certain ways. And I gave myself permission to let that leash ride out. In fact, I got off the leash and it didn't do me any good. And it certainly didn't help that guy. Um, and so I was, I was angry. And I think in that moment, I sinned by doing that. And the Bible tells us that even when we are angry, we're not supposed to sin. But I think that that probably qualifies as a sin because I did something that was damaging to another person in a way. It was emotional and it was verbal. I didn't hit him, but he could have hit me. And, and what I realized was I wanted him to give me more grace than I was giving him at that moment. Yeah, I think it's interesting that we are encouraged to, even in our anger, to not sin. So that tells me that anger is expected, yeah. but the anger in and of itself is not a sin. It's possible that in the midst of of being angry, we can sin, but we can also not sin. So mm -hmm. there's, there's probably some choices in there. Yeah. And we have to, to walk that line. And as you say, it's, it's sometimes easy to fall one side or the other, particularly the, the one side where, where we can, you know, let our anger out and damage your potential relationship or mm -hmm. uh, hurt somebody else verbally. Uh, and conceivably physically, which is really the super lack of self-control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no kidding. I think one of the things that I've noticed is that there are certain things that I can do that are just healthy habits, and it helps get me in the right frame of mind so that the Holy Spirit has more access to my life. little quick story that comes to mind about that. I knew a guy who looked like a weightlifter. I mean, he had these massive arms that were bigger than my legs, and he was a counselor. And he was counseling for a county and was trying to help a couple. And the guy had been very damaging to his wife in terms of intimidation and verbal abuse. And I think it could have escalated quickly into physical abuse because he could just dominate her so much. And this guy told us pastors in a pastor's meeting one time that he got this guy in a corner when his wife was in the other room. And he just got hulking over the top of this guy until the guy was kind of cowering and he got right in his face and said, how does this feel? 
how are you feeling right now? Knowing that I could dominate you, knowing that I could just break your nose right off your face if I got angry enough. How are you feeling? And the guy's basically saying, back off, dude, back off. And he goes, that's the way you make your wife feel. You need to rein in your leash and not let yourself off that leash that way. So I hope it made a difference in that guy's life. But empathy is what drives all, all of the things that we ought to be doing for other people. That's what Jesus kept trying to teach us through the Sermon on the Mount. So if I'm doing these healthy habits, I'm going to develop that kind of empathy. I'm going to have self-control, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, all those things that we've been talking about, these character qualities. One of the inputs that I have at my disposal, fortunately, because we don't live in a place where we don't have access to a lot of food, we're really blessed that way. I can put the right kind of healthy foods in my body. If I'm not doing that, my brain is not in the right spot. What are some other things that we can do in the way of inputs that we have, things that we have control over to help us well, get in that? We already Holy said Spirit. food, but there's there's also drink. You know, there's, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people say drink, you know, you know, five gallons of water a day, whatever it is that's supposed to make you um, healthy. I don't think that's the, the right amount. Um, but uh, there are all sorts of different things that we feed our body some of which are, are good for us, some of which are not, some of which can be very damaging, and some of which can be uh, actually addictive and uh, very destructive. And, and we have a choice in that. And, you know, a lot of people who say, well, you know, I have an addictive personality, so uh, that's sort of an excuse to let me do whatever I want. But there's still some choice in that matter. I mean, I, I know somebody who's very close to me that had a problem with alcohol, and she decided that she wasn't going to do that anymore, mm. even though um, at least one generation back in, in uh, her father, her, her biological father, mm. was uh, an addict uh, and an alcoholic. And so that is something that uh, had, can be a... Uh, genetic predisposition to the same thing in the offspring. Mm. Uh, and we talked to this particular person a number of times about how that can be an influencing factor and that she has to be aware of that. Yeah. She saw herself going down that same path and she said no more because wow. that is not good for me. Good for her. That takes some real courage. Uh, and it takes the strength of the Holy Spirit I think, to be able to pull some of that off, because if we're trying to do some of that in our own strength, it, sometimes it doesn't work as well. You're right. Uh, food and drink and, uh, and anything that could be addictive can be certainly an un unhealthy contributor to things that becomes a lack of self-control on our part. I think what we expose ourselves to in the way of media makes a big difference as well. Um, what we watch and for how long do we watch those things? <laughs> I think that there are some times when I've recognized that I am allowing myself to get sucked into the black hole of media, and I need to learn how to put my phone down, maybe plug it in in another room, and spend time focusing either on the person that I'm with at the time, instead of always concentrating on being ADD and allowing those vibrations of my phone to distract me from what I'm concentrating on, or is it keeping me from putting better kinds of media into my brain? Am I watching the kinds of things that are going to build me up and edify me as a person rather than dragging me down? Yeah, absolutely. And the media can come in all sorts of different forms. 
um, whether it's social media or television or uh, other kinds of activities that we do. And one of the things that I do, if I'm say, I'm gonna allow myself a little break from what I'm working on, I set a time limit on it. Mm. Say at such and such a time, whether it's 10 minutes or 20 minutes, whatever it is, then I'm gonna go back to, to what I need to do. And that just provides me an opportunity to be more disciplined yeah. and say, we're only gonna do this for so long. And then we're going to get back to what I need to do. And, and that has been very helpful for me. That's smart. Makes a lot of sense, too. Uh, it's hard to maintain certain priorities, but how we spend our time determines all the other priorities because our time is our life. So how are we spending our life? Uh, I heard one pastor say that. I didn't make it up. It seems really <laughs> wise. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. So you're right. By setting limits for ourselves and literally timing it to say, I'm going to give myself permission to do this task now and allow this, because it may be that you need to allow a different portion of your brain to be active. I do that with music. Music for me gives me a chance to escape from some of the other things that are bothering me. And so I'll compose or arrange music or I'll play my trombone for a while. But if I allow myself to become distracted too long from the other things, then I don't feel like I've done as well as I should in the other areas. So I have to limit what I do so that it doesn't become just escapism and it becomes restorative instead of degenerative. Yeah. Another area that very similar is, you know, what do we feed our mind with when we're reading or what in, in my case, since I'm, I'm basically an auditory learner, mm -hmm. I'll do it through, you know, somebody who's speaking, it might be an audio book, it might be a lecture, it might be whatever it is, maybe a podcast, a, a podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, are we filling our minds with those things that are beneficial or those things that are harmful? Yep. Are we listening to people who are building us up? Or are we listening to mindless crap mm -hmm. that is pulling us down? You know, are we uh, providing different ways that the scriptures can be influencing us, um, whether it's through, like I say, a podcast on spiritual subjects, whether it's a sermon, whether it's reading the word, mm -hmm. you know, are, are those things feeding our mind in such a way that we are becoming a better person or are we exposing ourselves to things that are actually going to be tearing us down? That's so true. And it's easy to get pulled along now into areas that are either not productive or are just downright cynical because <laughs> we live in a very cynical society right now. And so to try to put things into our brains that are more positive and that give us an eternal perspective and to help us gain some perspective over all the rest of the stuff that tends to make, at least it makes me anxious because I feel like there's so much out of my control in this world that's becoming more divisive. Uh, I need, I need to feed my mind and spirit. And so I need to spend time in God's word, for one thing, and listening to other people who are going to be building me up and helping me see the world through a different set of eyes than through the cynicism that we see in our world. Absolutely. And the other thing that, that I know both you and I are in the practice of is creating certain types of media that will help build other people up, yeah. you know, whether it's the, the podcast or the articles we write, the books we write, because we have the you know the, the tools and the talent to um, to make a difference in somebody else's life through these various media that we use and mm -hmm. i think that's a very productive use of our time and again that's something that we can control yeah 
Another thing that will make a difference in our life and how we can be self-control is with whom we spend our time. Mm, yep. There's a, a bunch of different places we can go with that. And, you know, we, we always hear, especially having been in the, the church world for a long time, that we need to spend time with the Lord. Well, that's sometimes easier said than done. I mean, yeah. it's something that we have to prioritize because it's not as easy as sitting down and chatting with somebody who's in the room with you. Right. Literally is in the room with you, but he's not physically in the room. So it's it's much more difficult. Mm -hmm. So we have to prioritize the time. We have to prioritize the, the type of activities that we do, whether that's in time that we set aside for prayer, whether it's reading, whether it's, you know, whatever it is that we do to help build that relationship that we want to have. Yeah. It's something that we have to say, we are going to do this. I am going to control my time in such a way that this is a priority. Yeah, no kidding. I have to say, I'm just now coming to the point when I can look back at the last two years, because we're getting, I think, closer to the end of a pandemic. And as I do that, I realize that I actually had some things that I can be very thankful for. Um, I was beginning to take walks through the several months of the first year of the pandemic, 2020, I had gotten to where I was taking an early morning and a late afternoon walk. So I was taking two walks a day. I was averaging about 10,000 steps, which were approximately five miles a day. <laughs> and I needed to for my sanity, but it was keeping me spiritually refreshed as well, because I had time to talk to God about that. I was having this quiet conversation as I walked away from all the noise that was being thrust at us through the news and other media. And that was actually a good thing. That was so positive. Now that we're becoming more in person with many of the things that we're doing, I find that I'm having to intentionalize that time because it's easy for that time to go away and you have to make space for it. Now, another thing that we need to do is prioritize our time with family. Mm. And it, it can be quantity, but it needs to be quality. Um, you know, they say a lot of times the, the younger children don't really care what you're doing as long as you're doing it with them. And so there's a quantity factor there. But you, again, you can be in the same room with the children, but they're not a priority. Mm -hmm. And I know a number of times you've uh, illustrated how you wanted to be the father that you should be, but you were distracted by other things that you wanted to accomplish. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing with guys, especially because we're, it's easy for us to be busy with our jobs because we think, well, I'm doing it for the family. <laughs> and sometimes our families would say, if we asked them and we listened long enough, they would say, yes, I know you're doing all this extra work for the family, for us, but we really want you. We want you to be emotionally present with us in the same room at the moment and not always working on some work-related project. Yeah. And people are, are important in, you know, in the way that we live our lives, the way we, we have a social structure. Mm -hmm. And there are times when we spend it with other people. Yeah. And again, that's a place that, that we can control because there's a lot of places that, or a lot of people that we can hang out with that are not necessarily good for us and our other relationships. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the Bible tells us that bad company corrupts good morals. Mm. So the question is, are you controlling the people that you're hanging out with? Are they good mm. company 
or are they bad company? Mm -hmm. All you have to do to get a clue about that is to watch a few of those true crime shows. <laughs> yeah. Yowza. I have a, a, an example that came to mind this morning. Uh, when I was in college, there was a young lady that I had at least a, a passing interest in. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned that she was going to a party that night. And from what she had said to me, it seemed like this wasn't going to be necessarily a good kind of a party for a Christian young lady to be mm -hmm. attending. Yeah. And um, as it turned out, a couple of friends and I, um, it just happened by the same apartment complex where this uh, party was going on. And it turned out it was not a particularly good kind of party for a mm. Christian to be uh, at. And we attempted to persuade this young lady to leave the party, which she didn't. Oh. So um, oh. needless to say, my passing interest became much lessened by that particular incident. Yeah. But uh, that was a choice that she made. It's a choice that we can make every day. Yeah. And we just have to be aware of it. No kidding. Uh, you sparked another memory in, in my little brain when I was in high school because I didn't have a driver's license yet. And a friend of mine drove me over to a party that was only about a mile away from where I lived at the time. This was back in Phoenix. And he said, we're just going to get together. Uh, this family has a house and they've got a swimming pool. Do you want to hang out? And I said, sure, that sounds great. I'd done that before with some of my band friends and it had been a really good time. But when we got to this house, I noticed there were no adults around and people with paper bags started pulling the paper bags out and pulling out wine bottles and some other things from those paper bags. And they started imbibing. And I looked around and thought, this is not going to be turning into anything productive. And my parents had taught me to just walk away. You don't have to be judgmental, but just walk away from things that you feel uncomfortable about that you might you just fast forward that video in your mind and think, where is this going to lead? And I didn't think it was going to lead anywhere really productive. So I said, guys, no judgment here, but I'm going to book it on home. It's good to see you. And I took off and I left that party. turns out that some of that same party group was doing similar things over the course of that semester. And one time, a couple of people got hurt because they were doing some things in a car in a graveyard <laughs> and they were riding on the running boards of this particular vehicle and they got scraped off by a couple of trees when they went through a narrow pass in that graveyard. And so there were some things that were happening that were just not going to be very productive and helpful. And I was really glad later that I walked away from that and didn't allow myself to get caught up in doing the things that that group of people were doing at the time. Yeah. And it's easy to do. And you know, we, we can, can make fun of it. In fact, what came to mind was often my YouTube suggestion page will come up with the wildest <laughs> silly things, which we'll talk about more in a little, little while. But, you know, when it says fails of the week, drunk girls, you know that it's not going to end well. No. And no. it's like, okay, well, everybody's filming these people making bad choices and yeah. being out of control, not exercising self-control. Mm -hmm. And they're failing because it's on a channel called Fail Army. Right. <laughs> and you just go, uh. um, it's pretty self-explanatory that this is not good for these people. No, it becomes very costly to those folks down the road in many ways. It's just going to cost them. 
I remember being corrected by a younger believer. He was a fairly fresh, new to the faith kind of guy. And he kind of kept us older guys in check because we had been doing some cleanup work around a yard of somebody, one of our church members' houses. And we were just kind of having a downtime when we'd finished everything. We're looking around and saying, yeah, that feels good. It's nice to know that we did something that was worthwhile. And the banter started to head a little bit towards some gray areas that could have been slightly off color, a little innuendo and that kind of stuff. And this younger believer said, um, guys, I'm a little uncomfortable with the direction of this conversation. Is this going to be edifying to the rest of us? And I thought, oh, you know, some guys would have said, well, who do you think you are? You know, are you the, the word police? But instead, all the rest of us who were believers realized the Holy Spirit was saying, yeah, you need to check yourselves <laughs> and bring that stuff back down into the parameters that you're allowing yourselves to go to, because this is not going to be productive. And you're straying into an area that's not a good thing to stray into. So I really appreciated that because that bad company corrupts good morals. Even Christian people who are trying to edify one another can start goading each other on. And you want to go for the joke and you want to laugh with the other joke, even if it's off color. And before you know it, you're telling wife jokes and you're doing things that are demeaning to people that you love. And it doesn't take long until you're doing things that can become costly down the road. And the more you do those kind of things, the easier it is to fall into it. Yep. And if there's not somebody who who throws a wrench in that works, you know, then it can can easily degenerate into a very um, unhealthy situation. Oh yeah, no kidding. Uh, what's another area that we could look at related to self control? Well, we've talked about what we put in ourselves, whether it's food or whether it's uh, what we read and, and who do we spend time with but another area is where uh, okay there there are good places in my town and there are some bad places in my town uh, one of the places that's a pretty good place is my house you know my home it's a, a place where i can be safe with people that i care about mm -hmm. and it's a place that i generally can be productive and so that's to me that's a good place where i can be that's but really helpful are, you know, and there are other good places in town. Mm -hmm. uh, I noticed something that uh, popped into my mind, too, and, and I thought of a story that goes with it, and that is church is a good place to be. Yeah, generally. It, it, if we're trying to feed our soul and feed our minds and our spirits, church is a good place to hang out and with people who are church people. And I don't mean religious people. I mean people who are trying to walk in the path of Jesus, you know, people who are Jesus folks. And that means that we don't think we're better than other people. It means that we know we need to be around fellow believers. I got a guy that uh, has coffee with us on uh, Wednesday mornings. We have a really neat title for that small group. We call it old guys getting coffee. <laughs> and we <laughs> talk you're not about, in cars. No, we're not in cars. <laughs> but we are pretty good at comedians, though. <laughs> uh, and this one guy said that after he had had a painful divorce, years and years ago now uh, from his first wife, he felt lonely for a couple of years. And he thought, you know, I think I wouldn't mind having a mate to go with me through the rest of my life. And I realized that I've learned a lot about myself. I didn't do some things right the first time around. I would really like somebody if God would allow me to have that kind of person. He said, but I'm not going to find the kind of person I would like by going to a bar, going to a club. 
uh, I want to go somewhere where I think I'm going to meet somebody who shares the same kind of things that I'm interested in right now. And so he heard of a church in a Detroit suburb that had a singles service. The entire worship service at 11 o'clock was geared for single adults. And he thought, what better place to meet somebody than someplace like that? And so he was telling me their story. And sure enough, he went there and he still remembers it to this day. He said it was May 31st, 1045 AM, uh, 1998. And I see this young lady and I think, aha. (laughs) (laughs) And she was kind of thinking the same thing because she thought, I don't want to go to a place where people are not sharing the same sort of values. So church is a pretty good place to be. And they have lasted for years and years. And we were, my wife and I were in their home just the other night. And it's so wonderful to see that couple living, walking in the way of Jesus and trying to become more like him every day, knowing that they too are in progress and that they're not perfect yet, but they're grateful to be walking alongside other people who feel like they're in progress too. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up their reluctance to go to a place like a bar. You know, I was just thinking there are other places that we can go. Bars are one of them. In fact, there's one in town. It's called the the Pagosa Bar. Mm-hmm. And it is your typical bar. I've, I've had to be in there on a few occasions as, with my responsibilities with the chamber. Mm-hmm. It's always filled with smoke. The two primary draws are cigars and alcohol. Yeah. And there's a couple of pool tables. And the folks in there look like they are are just down on their luck all the time Mm, uh, and it's not a very fun place and and that's a place that that i could go but i choose not to you know it's not a god honoring place i'll share another story uh it has a, a bit of humor at least to me in it because as a relatively young christian i've been a christian about a year and a half I was delivering flowers for a flower shop in Phoenix while I was going to college. And this one day, it said it's the such and such club, uh, such and such address. And I go, that's a strip club. Uh, you can tell from the outside because there's no windows. It's, yeah. You know, this marquee out there says, you know, girls, 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 whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And that was the address where I had to take these flowers. Oh, man. So, I can say, you know, I've been to a strip club, but I averted my eyes and <laughs> yeah. as quickly as possible found somebody who could take the flowers and get them to this particular <laughs> recipient. And then I got out of there because yeah. I knew there was nothing but trouble behind those doors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm springing off of you're talking about places like that and where a lot of people typically hang out and they appear to be sort of not the most happy and fulfilled people in the world. Uh, We started a small group Bible study in our home several years ago. And a couple of the people that had started coming with their wives to our church were bikers. And they were fairly typical in the kinds of places they would hang out and stuff. Great guys. I mean, I loved being around them. They were a little more colorful with their language than some of the folks that I used to hang out with, but I really liked them. They were likable. So we said, you know, you could come to our house and come to this Bible study. And what we do is we ask questions and then everybody else just answers those questions by looking at the Bible. So the answers are in the Bible. We don't have to be some sort of scholar to get to know those questions and answers. They said, yeah, we could probably do that. So they came to our house and hung out 
we drank gallons of coffee. They smoked the place up and Joy had to keep taking her inhaler because she had asthma <laughs> until finally after about the third or fourth night, they saw her take a puff on her inhaler off in the kitchen. And somebody said, oh my gosh, we're smoking in here and you've got asthma or something, don't you? And she goes, well, yeah, but don't worry about it. And they go, no, 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 I'm sorry. We'll, we'll smoke outside. <laughs> so they moved their smoking outside. But over the course of several weeks of looking into the, the gospel of Mark, which I happen to be preaching through right now, here we are, history is repeating itself. We're coming mm -hmm. all the way back around. One of those guys started to get it. The light bulb went on in his life. And a few weeks later, the other guy there, Bob and John, they both gave their hearts to Christ and they both started attending our church later too. But they would never have stepped foot in the church, but they would step foot in our living room because it was just a bunch of people looking at the word together and there was no judgment. And if they came up with an off-the-wall answer to one of our questions, we didn't reprimand them or say, yeah, that's a dumb question or a dumb answer. We just let the truth start to play itself out in these studies. So I think one place that we can hang out, especially if we're believers and we want to impact the lives of other people, we can make our homes a safe place and create the kind of environment where people who are not necessarily wanting that former life, but they don't know what to do to change it. They don't know where to go to get on a better path. We can be that safe place for them and just invite them in. It's amazing how that will rub off on them because truth has a way of attracting them to itself because the truth is based on Jesus. And just the opposite of that is we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm just reminded, I think it was John Dillinger when asked why he robbed banks, he said that because that's where the money is. <laughs> you know, if we want to reach people who need the Lord, then we need to go where the sinners are. Yeah. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean we want to hang out in a bar and drink and smoke and play pool and, and mm. uh, all of those things, but we need to be in a position where we can influence people and then perhaps invite them to another place where it's a little more spiritually uplifting. Absolutely. Yeah, you're so right. And I, some of the people who have blasted me the most in ministry over these last 40 years have been Christians who thought that I was being too worldly by suggesting that we need to hang out with sinners. <laughs> and I think, well, I think I'm in pretty good company because I think there were some people who really blasted Jesus for suggesting the same thing. Exactly. We saw that all the way through the New Testament. that <laughs> He got blasted yeah. for um, yeah, being in yeah. the homes of sinners and, and actually having a meal with them, right. which oh, took it to a whole new social level. Right. How can we influence them if we're not in their space or if we can't invite them into our space in a situation that they feel comfortable in? And that's a big part of the evangelism and discipleship that we're called to do. Exactly. So that uh, brings up a, another area where we can exercise some self-control. And we've kind of talked around it a little bit, mm -hmm. but specifically how we spend our time. Mm. For, for most of us, or those of us maybe a little younger, one of the biggest places that we spend time is at work. Uh, work is an interesting place because anymore there are perceived restrictions on what you can say and how you can say it and what subjects are okay and which ones aren't, mm -hmm. but yet it's a place that for the Christian whose eyes are open, it could be a big mission field. Yeah, it but really can. in addition to that, there's the time before and after work. 
And then there's weekends when you're not working, your days off, whatever those happen to be. Mm-hmm. So we have to choose how are we going to use mm-hmm. our uh, non-working time or and then in the case if we have a, an atmosphere at work where you can um, have conversations that are a little more spiritual mm-hmm. what do we do with that time that's true uh and i remember a young believer who kind of uh, got really drawn into our lives he wound up living in our basement for a year uh when we lived back in another town before we came to this church where i'm serving now and he was working sort of a factory kind of job but only for a while that didn't suit his temperament because he's more of a creative guy and he needed to do some things that allowed his creativity to flourish but he was so fervent about his newfound faith that he got in trouble a couple of times for trying to evangelize everybody at the factory and his boss said you need to do that on your own time this is not church this is not a place where we're going to feel free to do that he says i'm not trying to to say that you can't have a faith but i'm saying you're keeping people from working by taking too much of their time away from what they should be doing when they're here. They work for me. They're on the clock. (laughs) So he had to kind of learn how to be a little bit more balanced in how he shared his faith. And I think he backed off and learned how to do that a little more respectfully. Yeah, that can be, again, another point of balance Mm -hmm. where you've got to temper the sharing of your faith with the responsibilities for what you're doing there. Now, when it's the weekend, when it's before the clock and after the clock, you've got a, a lot more freedom there right. you know, on a lunch hour, on a break, those kind of things. But yeah. we have to be careful with our free time yeah, because it can get away from us in a hurry if we're, if, if we let it, mm-hmm. you know, every once in a while, my wife will say, oh, that looks really interesting, but I don't need any more hobbies. <laughs> you know, she's, she's got a house full of hobbies and is still working so she has to temper that she says i really would like to retire so i can spend more time with my hobbies i've Uh, been in your basement i've seen all the different areas that you have for those different hobbies it's incredible i've never seen it's like a workstation for this and another one for that and then there's this one and then there's storage (laughs) for that and then there's this the cleanup area over there and then here's all the finished products that we've made and yeah yeah, it's almost kind of crazy yeah, in a good way, because you guys yeah, are both very creative. But yeah, but I could see why that would need some balance. Yeah. <laughs> Another one, you know, we talked about a little bit before was um, watching television. Just, mm. um, I mean, it is, it is to the point where there is more entertainment available than we could possibly ever, ever, ever watch. Yeah. And it is so easy you finish an episode and it says the next episode starts in three seconds and boom, it pops up and you're stuck. Now you've got another 40 minutes or another 60 minutes, whatever the length of the program is. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, uh, the entire evening is gone and nothing worthwhile has really happened because you've been sitting there and they're just constantly pumping the next segment. Yeah. And, you know, people talk about binge watching an entire a set of 27 seasons over a weekend and you go and <laughs> what else got done nothing right you're so right it's so easy to get down that that rabbit hole it's a black hole that sucks the life out of you <laughs> and and another one uh, and and this one is is more uh, concerning to me because of the way that i learned is youtube now, YouTube is owned by Google, 
it is the second largest search engine used today. Google is first, YouTube is second. But being auditory, I like to learn with words and pictures. And so yeah. it's easy to uh, find things that help me learn that are actually feeding my mind. And I have a whole bunch of playlists that are dealing with different subjects, whether it's you know how to make bread, which we're, we're doing again, or how to learn this program. Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of that information is very helpful, very interesting to me, and I can easily find it on YouTube. And that's a way that I can use that to learn. However, mm -hmm. YouTube's algorithm is not very smart. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I have said, don't send me this channel ever again. Yeah. For programs that are in Spanish or Arabic or Hindi or Chinese or Japanese or Korean, I don't speak any of those languages. Mm. But beyond that, it shows up stuff that I would not possibly be interested in. I don't care about a day in the life of a college student. Right. That was 40 something years ago for me. I don't yeah. care. And yeah. yet they will hit my, my feed every day. But I also find myself going, oh, that's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And then I delete it because yeah. it will be a waste of time for me. Right. And those and algorithms. One of the areas that oh. I exercise self-control is knowing that there are certain things that I could get locked into mm -hmm. that's just going to waste three, seven, 10, 15, 60 minutes. Yeah. And I think that we've seen enough evidence now. Algorithms are there really just to get more clicks. That's what they're really most interested in. And so if it thinks that we're in some demographic or if we have clicked on one particular thing, then you go, oh, if we feed them this as suggestions and they'll get more of those clicks, then it just kind of drives us in that direction. So that has been a big part of what has driven a lot of our country into different tribes, different ideological camps. And then we spend all of our time in one specific echo chamber hearing only those things rather than having a good broad perspective, learning to say, well, I need to hear from a dissenter on this view to find out what balances this view. Because if we're only hearing from one side, we're getting skewed into extremism and that's dangerous. And we've seen that danger really much more prevalent in the last two years, I think, than we have in any previous year I've ever lived in my born put togethers. So you're right. We need to be very cautious about how we're spending our time on media, especially because of algorithms there. And we need to intentionally fight against the algorithms and surround ourselves with only those things that we know are going to continue to build us up and edify us and keep us growing the way we want to be growing. That's oh, a big absolutely. part of self-control. Absolutely. Yeah. There's another area of, of self-control that can be very personal and a very touchy subject. And that's how we spend our money. Oh, oh, I just got a tingle right behind my wallet. Oh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, and there are obviously things that we have to have, you know, food, shelter, those things that, that keep us safe, all of that stuff that is, you know, vital, you got to have electricity, so you can have your Heaters going, you have lights on, it makes the refrigerator work, it keeps your food fresh so you don't get sick, mm -hmm. on and on and on. But most people are going to want to have some sort of savings, some, some sort of a yeah. push towards 
you know, later on, whether it's a, a big purchase they need to do sometime in the future or they're planning for retirement. Mm -hmm. So there's some savings involved and all of those are good things. But then there's that discretionary or even frivolous money that just mm -hmm. kind of disappears. Yeah. And what do we do with that? Yeah, that's a biggie. And I know a lot of people in our church, it was a, a kick they were on several years ago to go through the Dave Ramsey spiritual freedom course or whatever it was mm -hmm. called. And they would learn how to take control of their finances. And we do need to be very cautious about how we spend that. Because if time is our life, how we're spending our time, same thing could be said about money. It says a lot about us. If you want to find out what really drives a person and what their priorities are, look in their checkbook, look to see what things they're spending their money on, because that will clarify what they think is important. Right. And, you know, if that's supporting the church and the work that they're doing, supporting you know, other uh, charitable organizations that do good works along the way. Mm -hmm. You know, all of those are good things, but there's a lot of ways that money just kind of disappears. And I'll share a story. Uh, there was a small chain of restaurant bars in Phoenix called Bobby McGee's. It's a very fun place. Mm -hmm. the, the servers, I think, were all wannabe actors and so yeah. forth. And I was there on a Friday night the bar was jam-packed, the restaurant was jam-packed, and I'm overhearing a conversation in the men's room. And uh, if I can use a little bit of gray language here, he says, I just pissed away $50 because he'd been in the bar for several hours oh, and man. bought a bunch of drinks. And he realized that it just went down the urinal. <laughs> 50 bucks. That's a realization right there. Right. And that was 30 years ago. Wow. So that was uh, wow. that was a big amount of money. And uh, I got the impression this wasn't the first time. It was almost like this is something that happens every week. Mm, wow. That's a yeah. pretty telling thing. Yeah. yeah. So he worked uh, a job and a good portion of uh, his week just was frivolously thrown away. Yeah, which reminds me of something I've started noticing just in the last few weeks, in fact, well, maybe months. Have you noticed all the gambling apps that are being advertised these days? Because of the pandemic, people couldn't go in person to the casinos. So let's put the casino in their pocket. That's going to end well. <laughs> and I think if all these people are looking at their phones every time it vibrates to see whether they won money based on their many picks that they can do right from their own phone, I don't think that's going to be a healthy thing for how they're spending their money either, because it's always skewed that the casino is going to win. Yep. When I was with the chamber, we went to see one of our members, but they're actually about 50 miles away from us in a little town called Ignacio. Mm -hmm. Ignacio is on the Southern Ute Reservation. We drove through that on the way to your place. We drove through Ignacio. Right. They have a casino. And it's not super large. It's, it's a very nice facility, but they were so happy because they were going to be able to tap in to one of those apps that allowed people based on geography mm -hmm. to use that to pump money into the casino by betting through them through this app mm. as long as they were in the state of Colorado. As soon yeah. as they crossed the border, they were eligible to play that app and it mm. would go through that particular casino and they would get their percentage because the house always wins in the long run. 
Wow. It seems like gambling could become one of our next pandemics. If you're going to put everything into, because it's addictive and it becomes like a virus in that it spreads and you just have to have that hit of endorphin or whatever it is chemically that it does for you because you get that thrill and it becomes more about the thrill than it does about whether you're doing anything good for earning money for your family or not. And that's dangerous, as dangerous as going to places on the computer that we shouldn't be going because that gives us that same thrill. It's feeding literally a chemical thing that washes through us and gives us a sense of, oh, I got that excitement from that. That's not what ought to be driving us. So we got to be very careful about where we're spending our time and money. And both can be very dangerous for us, depending on what kinds of things we're doing with that. And most people don't realize that the casino business is really big business and it's a business to them and they understand the marketing, they understand the mechanism, they understand Mm -hmm. the psychology, all of it. Absolutely. You don't stand a chance. Eventually, they are going to make a profit off of you. Yeah. And they know how to do it. They know how to do it really well. Mm-hmm. And they do it more often than not in a happy, joyful, uh, yeah. disguised way. Mm-hmm. And everything about gambling, particularly within the casino, is designed to keep you there, just like YouTube is yeah. designed. It's going to throw another 10 things at you when this video is done. Yeah, Everything in that casino is designed to keep you there pumping quarters into the slot machine. Mm -hmm. or sitting at that table putting $20 on that blackjack and it is a downward spiral Mm -hmm. and they're not necessarily hoping for the misery that it's going to cause right but it's going to cause the misery and they're going to profit off of it yeah which means we have to have an alternative that's more important to us that we know is going to yield something beneficial to take its place that's I have it I have it yeah we're going to put casinos in the church not exactly what i had in mind no you don't think so but but then you don't have to tithe because they'll just make money off of the slot machines and the card tables well uh that's an idea (laughs) i i was afraid to go down this road but we've gotten to it and i think i need to speak up about it because of something that was said in our pastors get together last month pornography is another one of those areas One guy said he's been working with college students for several years now, and he said it used to be years ago that it wasn't that big a deal, but now that everybody has access to pornography anywhere they go, including on a phone or in their little laptop or their tablet, that you can be in the privacy of your own room and have access to all that stuff 24 hours a day, and it's different than when I grew up and you had to go to the 7-Eleven store and convince that guy that you were old enough to be able to buy a book you shouldn't be buying. And it it used to be kind of out of bounds and it's no longer out of bounds. And so he said, it used to be too, that we would say we'd have maybe 50% of the guys that I worked with would say they're struggling with it. He said, now one guy that I went to said 99% are struggling with it. And the other 1% is lying. (laughs) And it is killing their walk with Christ because there's guilt associated with it. And it is an addiction. He said, this is something we have got to deal with in Christianity. It needs to be talked about and it needs to get out there up front for guys to know if you need help, you got to get help. And if you need to 
buy a filter for your computer or go to a support group or do something, there are helps out there to help you escape that and redirect your brain because we need new pathways to be developed in our brain. I really believe that's true. I think that when we replace a bad habit with a great habit, it literally over time takes about 45 days to do it. But I believe that we can create new neural pathways and we're going to the thing that's bringing ultimate good satisfaction instead of temporary destructive satisfaction. And that's why all these things about the fruit of the spirit are so important because that's what this helps us do, including self-control. Yeah, I remember being in a men's small group years ago when I was still in Arizona and one of the guys brought that up and he said, I am so thankful for an understanding wife who helps me to be in a place where I don't need that. And he said at one of our meetings, he says, yeah, it was uh, whatever time of year it was. He says, yeah, my sports illustrated swimsuit issue just came uh-huh. and where it's not horrible. It's certainly not good. <laughs> yeah. And she got the mail and saw that. And she says, oh, we don't need this and threw it right in the trash. Yeah. She wasn't judgmental about it. She just knew mm-hmm. that it was a problem. And said, I'm going to help you with this and not put this in a place where it's accessible for you. Yeah. And, and it is, it's a, another one of those chemical stimulants and we don't think of it as that, but remember Huey Lewis way back when I was in college, man, I don't know if this was like the eighties or something. I got a new drug. Well, what was that drug? It was the attraction to a girl. That was his new drug. And it is a drug. And for us to understand that it is driving us in the same way that any other kind of addiction happens. You can be addicted to crack cocaine. You can be addicted to uh, spending. If somebody has that particular thing that just triggers that part of your brain and gives you a thrill. And so people overspend anything that becomes addictive to us is bad for us ultimately, because only Christ will give us the balance we need in our lives to give us what will ultimately build us up and make us the best that we can be, because that's what he wants for us, which is why all these fruit of the spirit and the many manifestations of them that we've been looking at from Galatians 5 are so important, because ultimately he will give us the ultimate satisfaction and that will last forever. And each one of these other things are just temporary. They're destructive rather than constructive, and they will pull us away from being able to walk in the way of Jesus which gives us the ultimate satisfaction. And people don't realize just how strong those brain drugs really are. Yep. It's really easy to let them get out of control. Oh, yeah. It talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I think that's part of it. You know, we reprogram our mind to get those, uh, those same brain chemicals from a different source and we help to break the pattern that came before with the new pattern that gives us the same stimulation, the same feeling that we want to have, and then we're in a much better place. Right. I remember listening to a a podcast several years ago about a lady who said that she was a widow for several years, and she was raising kids, and somebody was honest in the interview with her and said, how did you deal with the sexual temptations that you had? Because certainly that was a big part of your marriage before your husband died. She said, I had to learn the new word called sublimation, which means doing something as an alternative that's socially acceptable and feeds my soul. And I reintroduced things into my life that were healthy. And I had to volitionally choose to do those things instead of allowing myself to be tempted 
to do things that would be destructive in my life. For me, honestly, I'm, I'm being real honest here. Music is sublimation for me. It's a very helpful hobby and an avocation because if I start to feel drawn into any of those algorithm driven YouTube videos or any of that kind of stuff, I can spend time arranging or composing music or trying to record some stacked track trombone things just for the sake of getting my brain into a different headspace. And for me, it's productive. It keeps that part of my brain alive. It makes me feel like I've contributed something to society. It's just a little bit of art that I'm making from that. But for me, it's socially acceptable. And it certainly keeps me from going down the wrong paths that I could easily go down with my free time. And so that for me becomes sublimation. And it turns out, turns out that it's one of the healthier things that I have reintroduced into my life over the last 10 years or so. One of the things that I see when we talked about all, now all nine fruit of the spirit that we see in Galatians mm -hmm. is that on our own, they are really, really difficult yeah. to manifest in our lives. And it's only through the power of God, through his spirit, that we can actually get to the point where we do have real love and joy and peace and patience and so on. Yeah. And all of those, again, tie together. And we can make a difference in our life by choosing to do things differently, even if we have to break old habits, mm -hmm. which take time, which take dedication, which really take strength from outside of ourselves yeah. to get to the point where we are walking in that fruit all the time. Yeah, and it's a daily walk, as we've mentioned many times. We need each other. We need that positive reinforcement that comes from being in community with other people who are on the same journey without judging one another, but we'll hold each other accountable. Like that young man that said, I'm uncomfortable with the direction of this conversation. Those are the kinds of things that happen when we're involved in the body of Christ, and everybody can have access to that. Now, it's possible that there are some of our fellow theologians who at this point don't have access to that mm. because the spirit is not necessarily indwelt within them because yeah. they've never really come to the point that they've made a personal decision. And I learned something just yesterday that one of the greatest Christian writers to ever put pen to paper, C.S. Lewis, mm. actually had two conversion experiences. The one where he went from a naturalistic worldview Mm -hmm. to a Christian worldview, and intellectually understood who Jesus was. But then later, after examining everything, then he came to true faith and made a profession that solidified it, not just intellectually, but spiritually, and became a true believer. That's important. That's a great distinction. But let me offer a sample prayer for somebody who might be ready to take that step. Uh, and it could go something like this. God, I've been listening to these things, and I recognize that I do need you at the center of my life, and I need your Holy Spirit to give me the power to overcome the things that have kept me from being self-controlled. And I know that there are certain areas in my life where self-control is an issue, and I need you to become the power in my life to help me generate some new things that are on the right path that will be productive and socially acceptable and that will yield positive, uplifting results and will help me become uh, a positive contributor to the other members of the body of Christ as we edify each other on this walk together. And I recognize that some of the things that I struggle with 
I just can't conquer them in my own strength. And I need you and I need that positive reinforcement of my community around me to be able to make that happen. And so I give my life to you. I give my heart to you. I give my self-control issues to you. And I open myself up to you to become the leader of my life. I want you to be the one who pours into me your character qualities as we know you want to do. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm glad that you want to do that with me and that you're patient with me. And you'll help me do that over the course of my life as I continue to do a daily walk with you. I'm laying my life down so that you can raise me up as a new creation in Christ. And I want to be a new creation. I want to walk with other believers and become more and more like you as you help me conquer all these things one step at a time. And I thank you that you're going to do that because you always answer prayers like this because you care about me and you want what's best for me forever. And I pray it with thanksgiving in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I think you hit it right on the head when you said it's a daily walk. You know, we take up our cross daily. And when, you know, we, we stumble through something, which we often do, then we've got that that lowercase r repentance that we walk through mm -hmm. and uh, we reestablish that relationship and then we move forward taking another step forward even if we've taken a couple of steps back you know the goal is to be further tomorrow than we were today mm -hmm. yep right on folks if you've hung in there with us this has been a little bit lengthier than some but we've had some good practical application kind of stuff today i've appreciated it and it must mean that you're hanging in because it means something to you and we appreciate that thanks for that and we do hope you'll check out our website which is mondayafternoontheologians.podia.com check out the resources we have there and we hope you'll tune in again next time for another episode of Monday, Monday afternoon, afternoon. Theologians. 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 Theologians.